0: When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he was infuriated and he sent and he killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time the king had learned from the Magi. We had an excellent Christmas around here. If you were here, I hope you loved it. If you were away, I hope you had a rich loving, fulfilling time with a minimum of aggravation and stress. Theologically, Christmas is about hope and promise. It's about a God who loves us enough to be with us. It's about a God who loves us enough to become one with us. A God who loves us enough to become one of us. No wonder the Christmas story is sometimes called the greatest story ever told. Even as a story the story works. We hear an uh, improbable tale of a pregnant teenager traveling far from home having to give birth outdoors, being visited by shepherds and angels. The way Matthew puts the story together, magi come to visit the child, bringing gifts. Magi, wise people, astronomers, It would be a little like today giving birth and having a group of astrophysicists come and show up at the hospital. We sometimes call these magi, these wandering scientists, the three kings, since they bring kingly gifts. I think that's the reason for that. We call them the three wise men just because there are three gifts, so therefore three, but we don't really know how many there were. Many, they collaborated on the gift-giving. Maybe there were 20 of them, and they just chipped in to get the gold and the fur, the the myrrh and the frankincense. And the fur, you heard it here first. There was fur involved. We don't know how wise they were either, but they were wise enough not to be tricked by Herod. We don't know even that they were men, these wise men. Matthew doesn't assign them a gender. But it's a great story. And if Matthew had been willing to leave it there, it would have made a good story. But Matthew knows more about Christmas than we sometimes do. Matthew knows the other side of Christmas. Now, for me, in my life, whoa. Palm trees. For me, and and maybe for you, the other side of Christmas means slowly getting things back to normal. At our place, we try to keep the Christmas trees going at least until Epiphany, maybe longer if we can. Decorations slowly and sadly go away, and we start listening to the news instead of Christmas carols. (laughs) That's the saddest part of all. And now all of us find ourselves now collectively in a new year, With some of the same realities, we perhaps were able to tuck away for a time during the Christmas season. For Matthew, for Matthew, the other side of Christmas means something else. For Matthew, the other side of Christmas means that the visitors have gone away and Mary and Joseph are alone with their newborn. So, let's see, we lose the shepherds and the sheep and the palm trees because they head to the desert We lose the magi. There they go. I suppose we lose the camel as well. And so we're left with Mary and Joseph and Jesus, just the three. Mary and Joseph alone with their newborn child. For Matthew, the other side of Christmas means that Joseph starts having more dreams, and those dreams are nightmares. For Matthew, the other side of Christmas means being faced with an unpredictable, tyrannical, insecure, and egotistical despot who feels threatened by everyone and everything, even threatened by the tale of a newborn baby who may grow up someday to take his place or so the tale goes that comes to his ears. For Matthew, the other side of Christmas means that that ruler will suddenly bring death and destruction to vulnerable children and their families. I should say, at this point, as some sort of a historical disclaimer, that we don't have an independent record, an independent historical account of what we call the slaughter of the innocents. What we have are verified instances and verified accounts of a cruel and insecure ruler put in place by the Roman Empire, a ruler who converted conveniently to Judaism, whose paranoia led him to kill one of his own sons, led him to kill his own wife, Mariamne, when he suspected them of being somehow disloyal. Though Herod was only nominally Jewish, he kept kosher, So it was said of him that it was safer to be a pig in Herod's house than to be a member of his family. And so, for Matthew, the other side of Christmas means that Mary and Joseph have to grab Jesus and suddenly become refugees, strangers in a strange land. Sadly, this other side of Christmas is also a familiar story to us. It's too familiar. You can't pick up a paper or turn on the news or click through the internet without hearing a story of some family fleeing tyranny and terror. Some of you have witnessed this firsthand. A few of you have lived through it yourselves. I picked up an early copy of our epiphany newsletter. Shameless advertisement. And even there... I open to read accounts of refugees in the article by George Dominguez, who has spent a lot of this past year in Europe working on immigrant and refugee issues. Here are two of the short stories he tells. He says, he writes, I met Mohammed, a 14-year-old youth from Sierra Leone, and Precious, a 13-year-old girl from Nigeria at the House of Cultures in Sicily. They were rescued from the Mediterranean Sea, weeks before we met one afternoon we talked about soccer and makeup and school we talked about food and we talked about dreams in my heart I was intrigued by their joy and hopefulness after surviving months of fear and abuse and hunger and even imprisonment later writes George I visited the grave of a teenage girl from Eritrea whose body was brought by others rescued at sea. A local woman offered her family grave to bury the once beautiful girl, whose name was the only information known about her. This simple gesture allowed Walayla's brother, who was also rescued from the sea, to meet his sister over her grave to grieve and to honor her memory, to honor her dream. Now, these are hopeful stories, but they're also hopelessly sad stories, and sadly familiar to anybody who's been paying attention to what's going on around the world, and they become familiar to all of us once again as we read the biblical account of what happens after Christmas. Now, on Christmas Eve, in this place, we shared once again the Christmas story A story about a child being born in a world with no room for him. We talked about him coming into a place where there was no place for him. We thought together about how easy it would have been for folks in Bethlehem to just move over a little bit and make a little space. And how nobody did. Nobody had even a baby-sized place for him. But we can do better than that. We can do better. We can make a little place, a little space for people who need space. And that's what I want to do this year. That's what I'm determined to do this year. To make over, to move over and make a little space. I want to push our elected officials to press them to make space for refugees. I want to work in solidarity with immigrants so that they too can have space. I want to work to resist insecure tyrants in whatever form they may appear. I want to spread the gospel news that there's room. There's plenty of room. There's plenty good room, as the spiritual has it. Plenty good room in the kingdom of God. Just choose your seat and sit down. And when I sit down, I want to remember. I want to remember to slide over a bit. Just slide over a little bit for other people. I want to move over in my life to make sure there's space for other people. Because the truth is, There's plenty of room. There's plenty of space. There's plenty of good room. This year, on this other side of Christmas, I want us to keep the message of Christmas going. That this one for whom there was no room prepares a room for us. That this one for whom the world had no place makes space for us. And that we can make space for all of God's people. And who is that? That's everybody. Amen. Amen.